Welcome to Technado. Welcome to another episode of Technado. As a reminder, Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. If you want a discount on your IT Pro membership, you can use that code TECHNADO30. I'm one of your three hosts for the show, Sophie Goodwin. Hope everybody had a lovely Labor Day slash holiday slash long weekend. Don, how was your Labor Day? Uh, it was good. You know, we, we had the cur- hurricane blow through, which I, I think all three of us made out pretty well with that. The hurricane mm-hmm. kind of went north of us. But uh, and then we get to spend a little time doing yard cleaning and, and all of that mess. Uh, uh, but all in all, nice to, to relax. The, the tech news, man, th- this was one of those weeks where I had a hard time filtering us down to just six articles. There were so many things going on. Uh, so we've got some fun ones for today. Okay, it's a good problem to have because otherwise we end <laughs> up covering like... Well, I bought a new laptop, and that's that's the new tech news, right? Yeah. How about let's, you? Let's go over GitHub repository changes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Glad we had too much information. We had to filter it down. It's a good problem. What's to in have. your commits? <laughs> <laughs> how was your uh, How was your Labor Day slash Hurricane weekend? Oh, Daniel? Hurricane was great. Yeah. Had a good time. Yeah, yeah. Ten out of ten. We'll do it again. Oh man. Daniel yeah. likes chaos. And five stars. Five yeah. stars. I do like chaos a little bit, so it's kind of fun. Uh, kids, you know, it got real windy, so kids okay. were just outside playing in the wind. Yeah, just let him blow away. He got three. You can lose I was one. like, man, he's got a motor on him. No, no, look at him go. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You can probably you, go get that one. <laughs> you, you can keep 66% of your kids. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. One of them blows away. No yeah. big deal. Well, like Don said, we do have plenty of tech news this week, so we did filter it down just to six, but we're going to go ahead and start getting through those. This first article comes to us from The Register. It says, Microsoft makes some certification exams open book, so just some. But uh, what they said was that realistically, you're going to look stuff up anyway, so you might as well learn how to do it right. And I have heard this for some of these exams where even if it's open book and you have access to the material, there's so much material that it's a skill in and of itself to be able to find what you're looking for within whatever book it is that you're using. Yeah, so I, I, on its face, it sounds like a really good thing, but this is like this is the equivalent of going up to somebody and saying, "Oh, you look hungry. Here, I brought you a glass of water." That, <laughs> that's effectively what Microsoft is doing. So this is this is really I, I don't I don't have the right word for this. Not a Trojan horse, but where it, like it, it seems like a good gift, but it actually isn't. Oh, uh, so it, yeah, that would be a Trojan horse. <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it would fall under that. I think. <laughs> so a Venn diagram. What, yeah. What Microsoft is doing is something interesting that we've we've seen in universities for years, where they have, hey, here's your exam, and it's open book. You can take your book in with you and use it. But most people recognize that that book is a bit of a, a red herring. That if you go for it, you're going to run out of time. Hmm. Microsoft is allowing access to certain documentation and not increasing the amount of time in the exam. So it is really neat to hear it, though. Uh, like Sophie said, you're going to look stuff up anyway. That's how people work in real life, right? But how are you going to look it up? You know, Sophie, if you don't know how to do something, what's the the first resource you go to? Um, so generally, first I just Google what I need to do. And then if I can't find anything, I ask Nate. Oh, well, <laughs> it's, it's good to have an IT department behind you. Yes. Uh, but you you Google things, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's what I do. Daniel, What is, you don't like Google. So what's your... No, I, I use Google. I, I don't... I don't like Google the company. Their search engine does a pretty good job of getting things that I need. Other search engines as well, DuckDuckGo and the Brave, and there's just plenty of them out there to yeah. like fill around with. So I like getting varied sources because you never know what you're going to find on the other stuff. But right, you you kind of go to – let's put it this way. You go to the interwebs and you ask the oracle of the internet, what is this? And it mm-hmm. goes here. And now we have uh, – I've kind of used a bit of uh, AI technologies nowadays for – some help on stuff because it can sure. easily define things for you or, you know, pull and, information. And, and in the real world, those are resources you have access to, right? Yep. 
On the Microsoft exam, what they're giving you is a pop-out tab that comes in from the side of the screen, and it gives you access to only the learn.microsoft.com domain, mm -hmm. right? Not Microsoft Knowledge Base articles and things like that, just learn.microsoft.com. Is and, it in a browser? Uh, it, it is, yeah. Okay. It's a, a browser, but it's heavily restricted just to that one domain. Gotcha. And no search engine. So, you know, Cisco did this forever ago, like 20 years ago, where on their exams, you you would have access to the, I, I forget what the Cisco website was called back then. It had a different name, but yeah. uh, but the, the Cisco documentation website. And without a search engine, you had to like memorize the paths to get to information. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you just immediately knew the five clicks to get right. to wherever it was. And if you got the time to memorize that, just memorize the data. Like, so you don't <laughs> have to do a search. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and Microsoft's documentation, like, When's the last time either of you said, oh, I wonder how to do this. I'm going to go to learn.microsoft.com. Oh, that's the worst. This is absolutely <laughs> like, I'm not saying that the information's not in there. It absolutely is. It's just really difficult to kind of like sift through that knowledge base and find the actual thing you're looking mm. for. It's it's not very easy. It's not real intuitive. No. Yep. So here's my advice on this one. First off, if you are looking to take Microsoft exams, the exam hasn't changed. So so that's good, right? So you can you can use this or you can ignore it. Makes no difference. The the amount of time you get, the amount of questions you get, none of that has changed. So that that's a positive. Uh, if you're thinking of relying on this on the exam, not a good idea, right? Mm. So if you don't study and you just go in and try and take the exam relying on on this source of information, you will absolutely run out of time. There's just not this enough time. This is false hope they're giving people. Kind of <laughs> yeah. So here's the, the way to use it successfully. Don't use it for your first pass. Go through all the questions, hmm. answer everything you can. And a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll mark questions for review. We'll say, I'm going to come back and look at this one again. If there's any question you're uncertain of, finish all the other questions and then come back and use the documentation at the end. And that way, at least if you run out of time, you ran out of time on questions you didn't know the answer on, but you did answer the ones that you already knew. So save it for the end of the exam. That yeah. That's my advice. It's just starting to anger me now. Because <laughs> I'm thinking like, you've given me a tool that I think, oh, this is going to be so good. I'm going to have a, a lot higher confidence going into the exam booth. And all of a sudden I'm going to realize, oh, this is not as easy as it. And I'm, I'll probably walk in there and I might even fail thinking that I'll, I'll be able to get to this really easily. I'll know where that is. And you know how it is. You get in there and you're just like, holy crap, where, where is that again? And then you're running down rabbit holes and you think, oh, I can go find, I know it's over here in this section. Where the heck is this? Where, oh goodness, I'm, I'm, and then you get flustered and now your confidence is sunk to the basement. Yeah. And, and it might actually end up in more fail rates than passes, honestly. So I, I have a, a positive and a cynical way of looking at this, yeah. right? So that the positive way is, Look, this is like real life. In real life, you have access to documentation. Let's make the exam that same way. But not like right? this. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's a step. In I, what I would like to see. So I think it's the GIAC GSEC certification. Mm -hmm. They allow you to bring in as many books as you can carry under one arm, or something, or any resources. You can write notes, and you can bring that in as well. Mm. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly. That is a much better open book model in my estimation because I can yeah. make my own notes, I can highlight, I can tab stuff. And then when I need to get access to that knowledge, psh, oh, there it is. Right. Right? You can do I've it got in a it way all that mapped out. Right? You know that that's the way that works for you. Right. Not some crazy, you know, uh, search base that I have to use through a janked up browser. And yeah. Now, let me give you the cynical take on this. Uh, if you've taken a Microsoft exam recently, there's a lot of people out there that are 
um, I don't want to say complaining, they are voicing their opinion mm -hmm. that uh, there are questions on the exam that are not covered in the exam objectives or questions in the exam that are not covered in the official Microsoft courses that, that offer training yeah, for that's, it. Yeah, that's what they're called objectives for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, be, I'm being uh, kind of an a-hole here. What I mean is, like, that's always been the case. It, it I've has. always yep. uh, encountered that. So the cynical take on this is Microsoft is exposing that documentation to basically kill that argument yeah. of, all right, hey, there might be a question that's outside of what was in the objectives, but you've got access to all the documentation, right? Mm -hmm. this, this kind of nixes that argument. So we'll, we'll see. They are rolling this out for all of their role-based certifications. So if you're doing uh, Microsoft 365, the desktop administrator, uh, Azure administrator, all of those exams, they're rolling this out. Uh, it'll be rolled out this month, so in September of 2023. They are not rolling this out for foundation exams. Uh, sorry, fundamental exams. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing any of their like Azure fundamentals or security fundamentals, those those exams are not getting access to it. But those are those are the easy exams. So, <laughs> so they're rolling it up for the hard exams, and it, it's an extra resource to have. Better than nothing, I guess. Just <laughs> I, I kind of like the way you put it. Is don't don't think this is going to be some magic bullet to a pass for you. Don't right. lean on it too hard. Think of it as a resource. Use it as well as you can, but don't spend too much time thinking this is going to be your holy grail that is going to save you as you get into the exam booth. Right. Anytime I've had a, a textbook or something as a source for an exam that I'm taking, it's more about memorizing where things are in the textbook, like yeah. the table of contents and how to get there and the, you know where the index is and whatever. Because once you get into the exam, maybe it's, oh, it's too much information for me to memorize, but I can at least know where in the book to find it so that it's if I'm using the book, it's easier for me to get there. I'm not spending all my time flipping through every single page looking for that particular word or you know buzzword or whatever. So it's a skill. It's a skill in and of itself, I think. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out for people taking those exams so it's what mid September that it'll be rolling out. So yep. after that, maybe we'll maybe we'll start to see some reviews come out as to how that tool works. Okay, interesting, positive and cynical review. I like when we get to see <laughs> both sides of things. Thank you for that. So we'll go ahead and move on. We've got another article here from Tom's Hardware. It's it says yes, a pigeon is faster for data transfer than gigabit fiber internet. So I guess they they did an experiment to see if a pigeon with three terabytes of flash drives could outrun gigabit ISP transfers and. And it could evidently, or outfly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, huh. yeah um, this this little exercise was performed by Jeff Geerling. If you ever built like a Raspberry Pi cluster, he he does tons of YouTube videos on those. Uh, so he, he did a little experiment, and, and this is revisiting an experiment that was done years ago. You'll hear about these, like internet over carrier pigeon or, or other, other media. Uh, in this case, what he's demonstrating is something that has kind of been known for a long time, that sometimes it is faster to ship media than it is to try and transfer over an ISP. In his case, he had a gigabit internet connection with his ISP, yeah. but he was only getting a 75 megabit sustained transfer rate. So, you know, it, it shows a lot of us have gigabit that internet. That is not gigabit. <laughs> and, I mean, maybe maybe you get it in bursts, Yeah, but sustained over the hours or whatever it took to transfer this data, his he was only getting was 75 megabit. Uh, mm. Interesting. Or megabyte. No. I don't remember how would, I measured it. Would you it. say that, yes, it may be faster to ship it or send it by carrier pigeon, as in the case may be, but the convenience of just hitting upload or download or whatever kind of out, yeah. outweighs that con of the lower speed? So it, it can. Yeah. Uh, however, I, I can give you a great example because we just went through this uh, in, in our day job. Yeah. We have two data centers, one over in, in the UK and one here in the U.S., and we needed to transfer about 55 terabytes of data from that's one to the other. All right. 55 terabytes, that's 
it's a decent amount of data. It's, it's not, not petabytes, yeah. right? Uh, but to transfer it over a gig connection would take days. <laughs> Two years. Yeah, it, it, it would take a while. <laughs> Uh, not to mention the fact that we need those internet connection, yeah. that bandwidth for other tasks, not just transferring this data. So for us, it was literally faster to break that up across. I think we split it over five or six 14 terabyte hard drives mm. and, uh, just ship it. and just FedExed it. Yeah. yeah. And and it got there overnight. And then we loaded into the systems and went from there. So and, and much more reliable. You don't have to worry about like interrupted transfers and, yeah. and variable bandwidth and so on. So uh, but. I mentioned this is not a new concept. This ties back to a saying from the 70s that came out of NASA. And uh, Daniel, I imagine you've heard this one. Sophie, you probably haven't, which is never underestimate the bandwidth of a station wagon full of tapes hurtling down the highway. Hmm. And uh, it, it came out of NASA. And what they what they found was back in the 70s when you, know, you had uh, uh, modems that were transferring over phone line, which were incredibly slow that they could load their magnetic reels or magnetic tape into a station wagon and drive it 300 miles faster. Three megabytes of data. (laughs) (laughs) Probably took up a whole station wagon. Probably true. Uh, But but that saying has been around a long, long time, and it's still true today, right? As media continues to grow in the amount of data it can store, Mm. uh, like you can go and get a 20 terabyte hard drive at the regular store right now. That's Uh, true. And so, you know, shipping that through a shipping service or... Yeah, I, I could probably run down to the Dollar General and buy a, a hard drive that of some significant size. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, if I needed to, I could Do they sell computer a, parts there? They, I know they sell <laughs> flash drives. Oh, and all they right. might sell external hard drives as well, like USB hard drives. Oh, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, yeah. What is the Dollar General? <laughs> Which is, for our, our non-US-based listeners here, is a, um, a budget-friendly like general store. That you can buy groceries and plates and you name it. It's got Coloring like books. a little bit of everything. A little yes. bit of everything. Yep. I'm I'm going on the Dollar General website yeah. to see. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want to know. Like, can, um, can can Daniel go to the Dollar General right now and buy an external hard drive? So I searched for flash drive. Yeah. And I did get a PNY USB flash drive, 32 gigs. Okay. Uh, not not very not big. Great. Yeah. Uh, 12 bucks, good price. 12 bucks, yeah. Uh, I also got Old Spice High Endurance Putty <laughs> Hairstyling for Men. Shoot. <laughs> Give me two of each, baby. <laughs> not, not sure how those are related. I mean, I'm not going to use it for myself, but uh, it's for my beard. It's for my beard. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow, point is, uh, things are, are still true. It's neat to see people testing this stuff out. I don't know how reliable pigeons are, but uh, sometimes it is faster to drive your data somewhere than to transfer it over your internet It's just connection. a crazy concept to think about in this day and age that I would hook a, a flash drive to a carrier pigeon, and man, that was some smoking fast. <laughs> Where do you even find a carrier pigeon? Like, people still do it. Like, they have races and everything. Like, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a thing. All right. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a big thing, but it's a no, thing. But it's, it's a, a niche market. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it's funny. It wasn't enough for him to just compare the pigeon to the the internet. He threw himself in there. He put on a pigeon mask yeah. and, and jumped on a plane to fly three terabytes of files. So, so he wanted to enter the race as well. And I think he <laughs> he also beat out uh, internet speeds up to, I think, 5,000 miles. And then the internet yeah, won the out. Yeah, the associated with doing that. <laughs> he called himself Pidgef. That was his pigeon name was Pidgef. So I just did they let him on the plane or was a TSA <laughs> agent yeah. with a rubber glove waiting for him? <laughs> I don't know. It looks like he was successful. I just think that's the unsung hero of this article. You at Walmart, yeah. I see you're at Walmart. Yeah, I gave up on Dollar General. I don't think they yeah. had hard drives. So I went to Walmart. I figured okay. that's a, a pretty pretty yeah. good standard. And 
Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to find that they don't have where I can sort by size. Uh, so, so far the biggest I've seen is a six terabyte drive, but you know, the fact, oh, here's 12 terabyte. So I could run down to the store right now and get a 12 terabyte drive. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, Hmm. that's good. So if you're in the market for a 12 terabyte drive and you live near a Wally world, now you have the prices. (laughs) That's right. And pigeons beat the internet. And that's, that's our news for the day. There we go. Beautiful. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I'm just really happy to know that he was able to don a pigeon mask and fly across the states that way. I, that's my next life goal. I'm adding that to the bucket list. I was on a flight with a guy one time who had a onesie on for the uh-huh. like Pittsburgh Steelers uh-huh. and slept like a baby. Nobody uh-huh. questions you, though. In the airport and on the plane, you can wear whatever you want. You can be drinking a Sprite at 7 in the morning, and nobody's going to care because time's yeah. not real there. It just <laughs> nobody cares. He wore cares. that onesie at, in the airport. It's not like you right. got on the plane and put it on. <laughs> right. He was waltzing through the airport with like little footy pajamas. Maybe he lost a bet. <laughs> yeah. Good for him for seeing it through. Right? You're so focused on your gate that's changed three times, you don't even see the guy in that's the right. Steelers onesie that's walking right. past yeah. you. Well, anyway, so we'll we'll go ahead and move on from pigeons and pigeff and planes and things. Uh, we've got another article here, some more news in Microsoft. Uh, this comes to us from Tech Radar. It says Microsoft pulls the plug on WordPad. So Microsoft's WordPad is being deprecated. It sounds like, and this is a pretty big deal, right? It is. I I did not see this coming, and uh, I I probably should have because a few months ago we did a, a an episode of TechNado where we reported on Microsoft killing off the native mail client in Windows, and they said that uh, instead of the native mail client, you should just use Outlook. And they were going to start giving Outlook away for free. That was, I think, what we announced. They were decoupling that from Office. Doing the same thing with Microsoft Teams and a few of their other products. Well, what I didn't think about was how tightly integrated WordPad and the native email client were. Hmm. And I went down a whole rabbit hole of this this weekend because somebody somebody was trying to guess why Microsoft was doing this. And they said, you know, I think that it is maybe a security issue. Here's this old software. Nobody uses it. Why keep it around? And and I thought, how can this be a security issue? Here's a software that's not running all the time. It's not like a service running in the background. I, I don't see a, a security angle here. Um, but if you go into the history of WordPad, like I, I've asked that question before, why do we have Notepad and WordPad and Microsoft sells you numerous other ways of doing text editing? Like, why do you have yeah. these different well, ones? Word, WordPad does things like RTF files, right? It does. Yeah, it does. And the reason is Microsoft never actually set out to create WordPad. They never set out to create Notepad. They were the result of other things. So in early versions of Windows, you needed a way to edit INI files. And mm-hmm. you know, back back in the day, they, the INI files are still there. You can find system.ini, win.ini, all your drivers have those INF files. Uh, they needed a simple text editor for that. And so they made a simple text editor, and then they said, you know what, let's stick a few pretty controls on it, and now it's Notepad. So we have to create it anyway. This With, is Notepad or WordPad? That's Notepad. Okay. With WordPad, it was for the email client. Really? For the email client, they needed a WYSIWYG editor for emails. You know, what you see is what you get uh, so that you could bold things, do a large font, change the fonts. They needed rich text formatting gotcha. for the email client. And once they built the controls for that, they said, well, why not just make it standalone also? And now yeah. people get a cheap... Use it for a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they did. So it came from the email client. So when they and when when we covered it a few months ago and said, hey, they're getting rid of the native email client in Windows, it didn't occur to me, wait a minute, here's these other things that are tied these to that. These things are married together. And once you've gotten rid of one, now it's time to like, well, I guess we get rid of the other as well. No reason to support yeah. it anymore. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm certain there's some people that buy a new computer and they say, I need a word processor and, oh, WordPad, good enough. Yeah. And, and that's it. And they stick with it and they just use it. 
why would they buy Microsoft Word? Microsoft wants you to buy Microsoft Word. They really and do. So I, I think they've been <laughs> wanting to get rid of this for a while. And uh, and here's their opportunity. But but yeah, it, it it's a mainstay application that's been a part of Windows for a long, long time. And the it's way going you away. said that, they've been wanting to get rid of this for a while. <laughs> now their opportunity has arisen. <laughs> <laughs> they've removed all its support infrastructure. <laughs> and now it's out there all by itself in the wind. Yeah. Now it's gone. Yep. <laughs> you going to uh, miss it, Don? You going you gonna to pour one out for the homie and... You know, I'm I'm not, and yeah. and there's a few reasons for that. So like, if I'm if I'm actually going to write a letter, yeah, I I, I do have Microsoft Word, right? I I have uh, we did the the family subscription where for a hundred dollars a year you get five seats, so my whole family has access to the whole office suite, and you're, you're good to go. Yeah, and yeah. everything's all cloud based now, right? So mm. yeah. That, that, that's the drive. They want that software as a service. You've got to get people paying a, a recurring yeah. revenue. Listen, Don, damn this one-time fee business. I want steady streams of income. Yeah. <laughs> Over and, time. And follow-up income. So, oh, you bought Microsoft Windows or you bought a laptop. We, yeah. we already made money on that license. How do we continue to make money? That That's what businesses do today. Yeah. LibreOffice is looking better every day. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that that's a, a viable alternative. And for most people... It'll the, do all the things you need it to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do use Microsoft Word from time to time, but I, fi- and I, don't, I don't think I've ever used WordPad in my life, which probably dates me a little bit. I do use Notepad sometimes, which is it's mainly just for text files, right? Yep. And so, so if I need to just write something down real quick, I'll use that. But more than that, I use Google Docs a lot, which I guess would be like a third-party alternative yep. in this case, because it's free. I already have a Gmail account. Yeah. So I use that a ton before I would use something like WordPad. It's not free. Okay, free as in uh, no no American dollars leave yeah, my no, wallet no to money use it. Changes yes, hands, but but they know my mother's maiden name. Yes, and all, all, all the other good stuff. And so yeah, when you go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean that that is a good point though. Like Google Docs is fully featured and free. Mm-hmm. So you know yeah. how how is Microsoft going to compete? I mean, obviously, Microsoft's doing just fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, feel bad yeah. for them. But uh, <laughs> what was them done? How are they going to survive this? <laughs> I guess the only thing would be is that I, I do access it through a browser. It's not like it's a desktop app. So if I don't have internet, then I, I'm kind of screwed. But yeah. but because I usually do have internet access, it's not really a problem for me. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I think it's a decent alternative. I'm sure there are other third-party alternatives out there too that, that people yeah. probably use. But and they, they used to have an offline Google Docs. Uh, Maybe they the do. I don't know if they still do. Maybe they do, and um, I just didn't know. Like an installable. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. You had to run Chrome because yeah. it was. They made it for the Chrome. It's like a Chrome Chrome extension or something. Yeah, and nice. and so you could actually use your Google Docs and stuff offline. And then as soon as you hooked up, it synced up, and you were good. Yeah, I did not know that. Yep. Learn something new every day, don't you? Yeah, um, here I always do. I always do. <laughs> and I'm um, I'm looking, and they do still support it uh, in Microsoft Edge as well as Chrome. And you do need the Google Docs offline Chrome extension. But once you install that, it there will work offline. Oh, look at that. have been changed here yep. on the Tech you, d- you did. You, I cry. You changed my <laughs> life. What's important is that Google will be able to harvest your... your. Uh, uh, I mean, to be honest, they're still doing that anyway, right? When you're offline, the browser still continues to like take telemetry data from your device. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and then I, once it connects, it goes, oh, here you go. In theory, if you're running Edge, though, Google wouldn't get it. But once you're running their Google Docs offline Chrome extension, sure they will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, good. Now I know. I, I do learn something new in this office every single day. Every so single day. Appreciate you guys for that. We are going to take a short break so that I can install that Chrome extension <laughs> and start working on my Google Docs offline. But don't worry, we'll be right back with more security news here on Technado. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back for more TechNado. We're going to be jumping into some security articles in this half of the show. So we'll go ahead and jump right in because I'm excited about this one. This one comes to us from Bloomberg. It says FBI dismantles a malware system that took millions in ransom. So the, this, this malware system was called QuackBot. Is that right? <laughs> we were debating that just a moment ago. I think it is QuackBot. Okay, that, that's That is fun. an accepted derivation of <laughs> QuackBot uh, because I think most people see it and go, oh, QuackBot. Yeah. yeah. You're like, mm -hmm. Yeah, but no, whatever. Yeah, Quackbots. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Go ahead. Huh. So they're responsible. It was, it was a network of hack devices responsible for extorting tens of millions of dollars from victims around the world. So they they did take it down, but not before it could do quite a bit of damage. Yeah, you know, this is is one of those bittersweet type things. Like, mm. I, I love it when we see our government agencies taking action. Uh, when the FBI and other agencies get out there and close down some ransomware group or take down some hackers. Uh, that that shows me that this isn't a battle that we're just losing on a regular basis, right? Um, although it can be a little disheartening to see things like Quackbot, this group formed in 2008, 15 years ago. So this is the slow hand of justice, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. But, uh, you know, they, they started as a, a company doing cyber attacks, trying to hack into companies the old-fashioned way. But they evolved over time until today, where they were basically just a straight-up ransomware gang. Uh, they've extorted people for millions of dollars. They've hit sheriff's departments. They've hit hospitals. They've hit a, a number of, like, they're indiscriminate. They just hit whoever they can. Uh, and the FBI was finally able to seize their control servers and shut down their network. No word on whether any individuals were arrested. Like, they, they've dismantled the network. They've shut that down. But they don't like they don't have anybody ready to go to court. I think Cackbot is out of China, so so that's not going to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah it doesn't if matter. They invade the mainland of China and get, yeah. go get them, or if they <laughs> were dumb enough to land on U.S. soil or some country with extradition. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we don't have any extradition agreement with China, yeah, do we? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, uh, you know, kudos to them. Excellent work shutting down. I, I will say. Uh, if you read through how they did this, very brilliant. I mean, it, it makes you go, hey, we do have some pretty smart folks that are looking out for our behalf and are out there actively attempting to take down these horrible networks. If you're not familiar with CACBOT, CACBOT is a, uh, it's used for initial access. And then from there, and, it's, and I think it started off as like a banking Trojan. And I think it still does that to a, a heavy extent. But if you were an attacker and you need access to, I don't know, you know, like systems, you can go to CACBOT. Cool. Now I can use CACBOT to get that, that access, and now I can install my ransomware. I can do whatever else I feel necessary to do. So it's typically how CACBOT gets used. And then when I said it was brilliant, the way they took it down was they were able to, I think they got a subpoena for the ISP 
or the, the hosting service that was running the CACBOT servers. And from there, they were able to get another subpoena that said, or a warrant, I guess the, the right word is, they got a warrant that said, hosting service, you must stand up a copy of all their servers and then give us as the FBI access to said servers, right? And then start redirecting traffic and you can't tell your client that we're doing this, mm. right? They were gag ordered from telling them. And then once you started funneling access from the actual CACBOX servers to the FBI fake CACBOX servers, they were then able to upload to the infected machines an uninstaller and a system to keep it from getting reinstalled. And they were able to, to like man in the middle their encryption keys and all sorts of crazy stuff. And from there, basically dismantle the entire thing within a very short period of time. So they mm. didn't have a lot of time to react to it. It was a, it was a very quick, this is kind of some, some badass stuff that our, our good hackers were involved with doing. So it's really cool. And if, if you're thinking about cybersecurity and like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? This is kind of the cool stuff that they get to do on a day-to-day basis. Cause it's not every day that we get to kind of hack back and go after them. But when we get the opportunity to, it's really cool to see it in, in hmm. real life land and how they took that down. I'm while you're explaining that I'm trying to find out which ISP it was. Oh, it's, it's unnamed. Okay. Yeah. I have not been able not, to find they're it. They're not saying which hosting service uh, they were on. Mm. Okay. So, you know, there are some hosting services that are out there that are, it's pretty obvious that they are very willing to support malicious actors and, you know, they're, they're building their ISP to support that because they know they can make some money on it. Yeah. Um, but there's others where they just maybe didn't have a good handle on what their customers were doing. And, and you get that with Amazon a lot where there may be hackers that are using resources in AWS. It's not that Amazon wants to support that activity. It's that it's hard to monitor and catch it. So I'm, I'm curious if we'll ever find out who that ISP is mm. uh, to learn if it was somebody who was like a malicious ISP, in or which case they were just didn't know they were hosting CACBOT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's possible. I, I I like to try and think positive on this and assume that, uh, you know, it was uh, inadvertent hosting. Yeah, that that would be nice. Yeah. Because, yeah. Don't be a jerk, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that I have to say that, but apparently you know, some kids were not raised that way. And are absolutely jerks. I feel like we've had that conversation here before about like I shouldn't have to tell you not, not to, to do this people. evil thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I do have to make that clarification. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is. It's a little weird. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, that's the cynical take, I guess. Is yeah. there a positive take to this story? The bad guy got taken down. I mean, at least tomorrow we'll be reading an article about you know Barkbot or Oinkbot or whatever the hell. Yeah. Be, <laughs> that they they shifted to because they're not going to. They, they they've taken millions. I guarantee they got another set of infrastructure that they're just going to kind of fail over to and rename everything mm. and kind of yeah. regenerate code. And they'll be back. They're just going to work their way they'll through, be the, back. through yeah. the farm animal noises yeah. and just keep renaming yeah, their network. Yeah. Okay. Moobot is up next. Yeah, Moobot. Moo. <laughs> that sounds like something else. <laughs> Moobs. <laughs> Great. I was thinking uh, Mooby, the restaurant from. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Mooby. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow. I made a mistake. I shouldn't. I, just, yeah. I shouldn't have said that. You, you opened Pandora's box. Uh, yeah, that's my. That's my fault. I take full responsibility. I'm sorry. I'll expect to accept any hate comments that you want to give me for that. I also think it's interesting, and I feel like I maybe I've said this before about an article we've talked about weeks ago. But when they talk about these takedowns, there's always this caveat of like, well, this is great, but it doesn't necessarily mean they won't be back. Kind of like you were just saying, and it kind of reminds me of a. 
like the mob, like the mafia, how it's like you can put these guys in jail, yeah. but it's still Somebody just it, takes their the place. network still is, is going. Yeah. It still keeps operating. So it's great to take some of these guys down and kind of maybe disrupt the operation a little bit, but it does, doesn't necessarily mean it's gone forever. So that's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess that's a little bit of a depressing way to look at it. But for now, yay. It, good job, FBI. You did great. <laughs> the FBI's on a roll lately. What, what did we talk about last week? They released some uh, some warning for people about... If you, what was it we talked about last week? Some warning that the FBI released and you were like, if the FBI has to tell you to do oh, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it was that they warned about. What were they warning about? Oh, so clearly shows, it wasn't very effective. effective. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a really good job there, FBI. <laughs> they didn't do a very good job. Never Great mind, job, you're FBI. useless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have an agent show up at my door later because yeah. I'm talking crap about the you FBI. You like that wasn't going to happen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on several watch lists. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just my mom's going to watch this and yeah. be like, stop saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and move on before I get myself in trouble. Uh, this next article comes to us from TechCrunch. It says Logic Monitor customers hit by hackers because of default passwords. I don't know. Could this have been a who got pwned or not quite under that category? You know, I, I think it, it probably should fall into that. But it, it's so. it's weird. So what what happened here is uh, first off, if you don't know Logic Monitor, uh, I, I didn't either prior to this. So it was yeah, the first time I'd heard of them. Wins. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, Logic Monitor, they they provide the ability for you to monitor your network performance as well as your application performance and even correlate that so that you can see what's going on with your application and your network all in one pane of glass. Uh, it's actually, I started looking into it, it's a pretty sweet product. Like <laughs> it looks really impressive, and uh, at least in their marketing materials, it certainly seems to do a good job delivering and, on and, that. And we're not sitting here talking about like there was an inherent flaw in the software which caused a breach. It was just not really the wisest decisions when it came to to issuing passwords, if I'm not mistaken. So what they did is when a new customer would onboard, you would need to create user accounts for all the users. And they created very simple passwords. Passwords like welcome with the at symbol or just a couple of numbers thrown at the end. Help. Stuff, yeah. (laughs) Stuff that was extremely easily brute forced. That was the password for the domain administrator where Don and I used to work. Oh, yeah. That was was a long time ago. Help. It was a good time. That got changed. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so basically, they would create a really easy to guess password, and they would assign that same password to every account for that customer. And it didn't expire, and it didn't require being changed when you logged in. So they encouraged customers, hey, when you log in, change your password. But you didn't have to. Hmm. And it turns out a lot of the customers didn't. Well, some attackers figured this out either by guessing or through insider information, we don't know, but they figured it out and they were able to then begin compromising Logic Monitor customer accounts. Now, here's why I didn't flag this one as who got pwned, right? We don't really know if they were able to make the jump of getting into the Logic Monitor infrastructure itself. Yeah. So, you know, that would compromise all the customers. At this point, it would just be a customer compromise. Right. But it's a number of customers, at least 20 of their customers have been affected this way. Uh, and this does count as a supply chain hack, though, because once the hackers were able to compromise the Logic Monitor instance for a customer, Logic Monitor requires an agent to be installed on your servers to be able to track application network performance. That meant the hackers now had usually system-level access on those systems, and they were able to push ransomware out. And they infected a number of machines with ransomware. uh, And so those customers were hit through their supply chain, through Logic Monitor. So that's bad. And that stuff isn't going to get flagged by AV and everything because it's it's strictly from them. System-level. It is, right. It's allowed software. So... 
we'll probably find out in the next couple of weeks if the hackers were able to compromise further into Logic Monitor's infrastructure, then this could be a full-scale uh, solar winds right. type event. Which would suck. It, it would. You know what, though? I think this is a really good uh, article to have the conversation about setting passwords. I, you know, as, as someone who does security training, I teach people good security practices. That's that's my day job. On I, 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 A lot of times I'll get people saying, like, you're showing me how to crack a password, but the password you're giving me is is very weak. No wonder it got cracked. And I, 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 I kind of got a little perturbed with that a lot of times because it was like, yes, people, they use bad passwords. And I would get perturbed that they were perturbed that we were using weak passwords. <laughs> Does that make sense? I was like, this is the reality of it. And now the, the more I've kind of thought about it, the more I'm like, they should be upset that they, they don't understand that, yes, these are passwords that get used in real life but they should be upset that these are passwords that we use in real life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Once they put those two things together, they should be completely inflamed with anger going, what do you mean that this is something we are using in real life? Right. And for whatever reason, it, it hasn't been like, we've never changed. No matter how much we train and do user awareness, we still tend to lean on, make it easy for me. Would you? These mm-hmm. password things kind of suck. I have, I have like 30 some odd character passwords it doesn't really become a real issue for me. Like maybe for the first week, you're kind of getting used to typing your password. Once you do, yeah, you type right. it pretty quickly and it's not a big deal. And with password managers, like like things like Bitwarden and things like that, it, right. there's really no reason to not have a password that, you know, those randomized ones where it's char- special yep. characters and stuff. I know that's hard to memorize, but if you've got a password manager that's secure and your password for the password manager isn't one, two, three, four, five, six, right. there's <laughs> really no reason to not be using longer, more complex passwords. It, it, I, there's... Very few legitimate reasons why you would not use a such a complex and lengthy password and a password manager. Like gun to my head, you're not getting in to 95% of the things that I have access to. Yeah. Because I don't know how. If you don't have mm-hmm. my my bitwarden, right. I'm done. <laughs> well, you know, so that that's probably what what I think is the, the biggest flaw here is logic monitor, the software itself. Right. You know, because of the nature of what it is, monitoring your infrastructure, that's not something you're giving to Tom, the mail clerk down in the mail room, this is something that your your it infrastructure deserves. admins will have yeah. access to. Yeah. So multi-factor authentication should absolutely yeah. be enabled. So who cares if they use a weak password right. or not? You've got a second Where's factor authentication. Yeah. Right. And when you're onboarding, it's a trivial thing to require people to change a password and onboard MFA. I, I use a number of services where they will not let you log in until you've enabled MFA. I like like you've, you've got to get through that onboarding first before you're in. These are things that you would think a company like Logic Monitor would have thought of, and their customer list is what makes it scary because right. they they have on their website trusted by Cisco, Juniper, Hewlett Packard, like huge network companies. So the question becomes: Is why aren't they doing that? Why are they not doing that? I have a theory. Let's hear it. All right, here's my theory. I'm interested. When you go to Daniel and ask about security settings and so on. He's going to tell you how to secure things. That's his business. Daniel is a cybersecurity expert. When you go to Sophie, who, you know, Sophie, I know you don't consider yourself an expert, but you've been involved in our cybersecurity program for quite some time. And so, you know, you've got to secure this and and do better. But when a customer goes to Logic Monitor to buy it, they're one of those companies where they don't put the pricing on the website, right? You got to call, you got to talk to a salesperson. So now you get tied to a salesperson. 
and the salesperson walks you through the great deal you're going to get that, uh, you know, unfortunately the pricing ends at the end of the month. we got to get this deal signed. Yeah, let's yeah, get yeah. a docu signed. <laughs> and then the salesperson oftentimes will onboard the customer hmm. because they usually don't get paid their commission until the, you know, somebody is in their account. Yeah. So the salespeople provision the customer. And this is not just logic monitor. There's a lot of companies out there that do this where the salespeople provision the customer. And the salespeople don't know about security or, or don't don't right. view it as important. They, they're well, in sales. Well, they might, they might think, well, this is temporary anyway. You're, you're going to change it. Not it's understanding fine. that most people, inertia is a difficult thing to overcome for most people. Oh, the password's already set. Rock and roll. Just yeah. keep going. Right? That's That's good enough. So you have developers that put an automation in place and the yeah. developers aren't necessarily thinking security first, they're thinking feature first. You have salespeople who are thinking sales first, not security first. So it's up to us, the people that do think about security, to get involved in those processes mm. to make sure that we review them. And right. Like if all they did was just get a couple of security people involved with like, hey, let's let's script out how you would onboard a client so that you don't have to kick it over to IT to get them onboarded correctly. You can walk that process. Yeah. And we're going to just give you a nice little script. You just follow the bouncing ball, and here's how that's done. And that way we can cre increase security and make it easy on you. But it, uh, it's unfortunate that it takes something like this before something like that might actually even be thought of to do. Mm. Yeah. Well, a company like Logic Monitor should have a they CISO. Should. Yeah. Right. They, mm -hmm. they should have probably a whole security team because they're doing a SaaS based solution, right. installing agents and customers' machines. It's high risk. So they, they should have a CISO and their CISO should be looking at what are the procedures we have in place? What are our weakest links? Where are areas of possible compromise? And a simple password. And I, I, I haven't seen their onboarding. So I would assume it's sent by email, which mm -hmm. is unencrypted. Uh, mm -hmm. and not set to expire, not requiring a change that customers can use. This should have been a red flag that, uh, I mean, ultimately the CISO should have been aware of. Yeah. Well, he'll be fired soon. So, because <laughs> that's how it works, right? We have a, we have scapegoat. A, yeah. We have a security incident. CISO gets fired. Oh, first he goes on, you know, and tells everybody what a bad job they did. And then they fire them, and <laughs> yeah, and the cycle continues. We see so, and Jill comes I, in. She's like, "I'm going to do better than Bill did." <laughs> give her a couple years, and same thing's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then she's fired, and then the cycle continues. You know, I, I have I've said this more than once, and I, I shouldn't, but uh, now you're going to say it again. I, I will. I'm, I'm <laughs> tripling down on it because I said it at least twice, which is. A CISO's key responsibility is being willing to be fired during <laughs> yeah. a security incident. That's it. That's uh, it. Because it's that, in the job description. Because companies yeah. look at that as like absolving them of blame. Right. Oh, mm -hmm. we, yeah, yeah, we that took happened, care of it. We fired the CISO. Yeah. Um, which I, I just looked up. Uh, I believe this gentleman is, yeah, the CISO, uh, the CISO for them, uh, Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity and CISO for Logic Monitor. Um, oh, actually, he left in May of 2023. So they didn't even uh, have a CISO at the time. They may not have a standing CISO right now. And then in lies their problem. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Or Ruh -ruh maybe <laughs> Google didn't find it. But anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's probably yeah, we'll see. This one, though, just mark it, mark it on your calendar. This one may turn into a, a solar winds type event mm. because of how prevalent the software is in organizations. Uh, but it's not there yet. So right now it is just a customer account compromise. Yeah. Mm. For right now. For right now. Yeah. Yeah, they have a chief technology officer, but I can't find anything on a on a CISO. So this is just on their website. Hmm. I'm probably not scrolling far enough. Maybe CTO is pulling double duty. Could be. Maybe. Yeah. In a small company, you can do that. Yeah, but right? not this one. Yeah, it's a little too late. A little too they, large. 
they seem, at least on, on face value, they seem like There's a really big employees. company. <laughs> maybe, maybe they are. I can't imagine they've landed those big clients with just four employees. Awesome. If so, like, they're like the most I saw, efficient I saw a whole documentary about a guy who bought the, uh, was it, was it uh, New York Islanders with no money? Oh, the scam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My, just my through lies. Yeah. Right? So mm. I put nothing past people anymore. If you can mm. buy a hockey team with no money, <laughs> and uh, they were interviewing the dude, and they kept uh, like, once once they kind of caught on to the fact that you were lying, why did you keep going? He goes, I just wanted to see how far it would go. I just want to see what they would believe. I started making up bigger and more outrageous lies to see if people would believe it, and they did. <laughs> and I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> like yeah. a movie plot. Yeah, it's very entertaining. You should well, check it out. No kidding. Uh, I don't know how accurate this is. Zoom Info is a, okay. a reliable site for this kind yeah, of data, yeah. but uh, I don't have a paid account. So according to them, they have 800 employees, uh, which is a pretty decent size. size. Yeah. That's a that's considered a midsize yeah. organization. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They, I mean, they're not Deloitte. I think because of the, <laughs> the nature of the business and the nature of the way their software works, they should, obviously, yeah, they should have absolutely. a CISO. They did at yeah. some at point. At that size, you got to have one. Yeah. 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 Well, per TechCrunch, Logic Monitor is making some changes going forward. Kind of reactive as opposed to proactive. It's a little late for that, but better late than never. Uh, they are now requiring the setup password to be changed on the first login, and it the password only lasts thirty days. So, they've they've implemented some measures. No no MFA though, still as, as far as I know. So that's an, that's interesting that that you pointed out earlier that it's surprising that that's not a requirement. Um, so yeah. I don't, who knows? Maybe in the future. And that that varies by company. Think about our day job, right? Yeah. Where we don't offer MFA to our customers. Uh, but that's because they they log into a website to access training. Yeah. If a hacker accesses that, they, they get they access get to, to training. our training. Yeah. yeah. But if it's a software agent installed on your infrastructure, like different a whole story. different thing, mm-hmm. you have to evaluate the the exposure. Yeah. Um, the standard's yeah. a little bit different there. I would think. You would think. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, maybe we'll be covering this again in a few weeks, and they'll I be like, we update, <laughs> we're implementing MFA. Do we have any upload capabilities on our site? Uh, no. Oh, good. <laughs> nope. Okay. Thank, thank you for double checking on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and move on to this next one. This is fun. Uh, this comes to us from Ars Technica. It says Hacker gains admin control of Source Graph and gives free access to the masses. So uh, it's an unknown unknown hacker at this point, but I bet he fancies himself a regular Robin Hood, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, Robin Hood would steal. Uh, money from the rich and give to the poor so the poor would receive money which had value to them they could buy food and make a better life in this case the hacker gained access to a generative text ai company called sourcegraph and gave away access to generative ai functionality which to write my really resume has value to anybody does so it? i can get how, a how job much is, how much is a sourcegraph api or api key you know what i mean it's like yeah what what's that running me yeah if you're not familiar with sourcegraph by the way which i was not it is uh, meet Cody, your AI assistant, auto-generate unit tests, explain code, find code smells, and generate code. Even by the way, code smells is an interesting. I had no idea what that was. Yeah. Do you, are you familiar with code smells? No. Code smells are. I looked it up. I looked some code stinks. Resu- uh, <laughs> code smells are a result of poor or misguided programming. These blips in the application code can often be directly traced to mistakes made by the application programmer during the coding process. So they help yeah. you find stupid things you've done well like it just highlighted all of my code (laughs) unless you've been living under a rock you know that for the last three months the world has been crazy about chat gpt and and any kind of large language model and and i've developed a religion 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, we pray to ChatGPT. Yeah. <laughs> the AI coding assistant is so, named Cody. Cody. That's yeah. funny. I like that. I wonder. I know it's not the point, but I just think that's funny. And now I'm tempted to do this. You know, the to talk to ChatGPT. I'm I'm forming a cult. Yeah. I I need to come up with a set of daily prayers. Yeah. And what like, would you <laughs> want me to do if you were my deity? <laughs> Well, with this surge of our new buzzword, right? Everybody has to have ChatGPT. Companies are rushing to get products to market, and they're going as fast as they can to integrate this stuff into everything they have. Well, anytime you rush technology to market, what happens? You cut corners. And security is one of those pretty early on things that companies <laughs> will cut corners is, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we don't have time for a Listen, pen test. We will bolt that on later, people. <laughs> That's right. I've, I've, it'll take the hackers time to find stuff. We'll have it fixed by then. Yeah, that's which, how it works. Yeah, it never happens. So this is a great example of that where SourceGraph just popped up uh, a handful of months ago on the on the public radar. Uh, they offer that that coding support, which many companies are starting to integrate now. Microsoft is trying to bake it into Visual Studio, uh, and so you're seeing a lot of that. But uh, in this case, the hacker got in. Now, what's interesting to me, at least, is that Robinhood angle. Most times, a hacker gets in. And it's like, how can we? Uh, extort money out of this or, or whatever. Uh, but in his case, what he did, uh, and I don't know why I assume it was a guy, but uh, the, the the hacker in question generated... Probably because 95% of people that are into technology are... Well, yeah, I guess there's the, the demographics there. Yeah. But, uh, it's a safe bet, Don. But they, they created a proxy server that basically gave people free access to SourceGraph's queries. And the way SourceGraph noticed this was a huge spike in customer activity. And they, they put out a little chart that shows it, and it doesn't have a scale. Like, they, they didn't give actual numbers. But it's, like, two orders of magnitude greater than, you know, like, they, they went up it by It seems some, like a lot, Don. <laughs> some 10,000% or whatever <laughs> over their previous day. Uh, I just imagine, like, being on their network... It, I'm sure it's a very small company, right? Yeah. This is probably less than 20 employees, yeah, but yeah. they've got somebody who's responsible for their infrastructure and maybe they noticed their AWS billing alert first <laughs> or like that, that was their alert. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the money to cover these costs there. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, you know, just this huge spike in activity. And so they, they immediately traced it to what was going on. The hacker had gotten a full-blown system administrator account and was able to, like, you could get somebody to sign up for a free account, and they could then remove all of the limits that were set on the, the free account uh, to basically have unlimited access. So I don't know if you read the comments in this. but I did not. Almost <laughs> a bunch of them kind of went like this. We've said it before. and They're quoting this. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Don't put credentials in publicly available code. Oh, was this? That is what happened here. Oh, wow. Mm. It's the, it's the uh, old... The old putting my access keys in the code. Oh man, you know trope. <laughs> that happens a surprising amount, right? Uh, developers love GitHub. You can sign up for a free GitHub account, and you can put your code in there. And for a long time, uh, unless you're you're a paid GitHub customer or it was an open source project, uh, they wouldn't let you make private repositories. So you had to pay for private. Yeah. Everything was public. So people would sign up for free accounts, and then they would hard code credentials in their software and sync it up to the GitHub repository. It was such a problem with AWS keys that GitHub actually has an automated system that runs. Uh, if you're ever bored, make a fake AWS API key. Like, yeah. you know, take and your change of values. Code. Stick it in your code. You will immediately get an email notification from GitHub about it. Like, this, that's how prevalent this, this problem is. Uh, 
I didn't realize that's what they did. Yep. Man, that's yep. That's how they they found ouch. the code. So they pushed they pushed that uh, key into like a a public piece of code. And I don't think they meant to do that. <laughs> I think that was an accident, which it typically is. But it's very common practice because for coders, it makes things a lot easier for them to just bake that in. It doesn't have to call and or even to do some of the things to obfuscate that. It can just be a, ba- a bad habit between coders. Hey, maybe they should go use uh <laughs> Oh, what's the thing called again? What's the name of this? Logic thing? monitor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, this one. Logic source monitor. Graph. Yeah. Yeah. Source graph. They should have used source graph. To look for <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> These bad coding practices. You know, I, I've actually seen something like this happen before by accident. Yeah. Uh, where there was a, a developer, uh, I'll, I'll change the names to protect the innocent, yeah. although he was totally guilty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so a, a developer where uh, they had a, a I'll, I'll call it a Unix profile because it was, it was done on their Mac, but they okay. used this on Linux and on their Mac and so on, where... They had their aliases set up for their bash mm-hmm. sessions, and and they had all sorts of commands mapped and functions and other things that they created. And they liked to have that on every server they worked on, right? So when they'd get a new account on a server, they'd log in, and they'd want to sync their .profile, their .bashrc, mm-hmm. all of those files. So what they did is they created a GitHub repo, and they synced their, their home directory up to this GitHub repo. Thinking, you know, what's the big deal? If somebody gets my bash RC file, they just get my command aliases. That doesn't tell them anything. And if they get my profile, they get, you know, stuff like my Vim configurations yeah. and nothing, but, nothing big. But if I said like a, an environmental variable with an API key in it. Well, so this this was actually, they didn't do that. Oh, thank God. So that, that was good. <laughs> but they did sync their whole directory. And so their history file went along with it. Ooh. And... With the AWS command line interface, there are plenty of times where you provide your API key as a part mm. of a command line command, and it was in the history file. Sweet. And so they synced up what they thought was innocent data into a repo, and here go the API keys with all the information an attacker needs, because you've got all yeah. your endpoints and stuff it's in all there, there, all yeah. in your command history. And that developer had never thought about that. Like, hey, my command history contains absolutely sensitive data in it, Yeah. Uh, and... Got to redirect that to Dev Null. What are you going to do? You could, <laughs> you could disable your history. Yep. Right. But history provides a, a useful it's very function. Helpful, yes. You should just not sync it to GitHub. That that's one. And you know, you don't could probably assume... script up a filter pretty easily, right? For yeah. right, like yeah. any kind of this type of data goes to Dev Null. Everything else can stay in my history. Yeah. So you kind of like create a script that looks for what you've labeled sensitive information and kind of removes that for you. Personally, I mean, I would have been hesitant to sync my home directory up to a public GitHub repo. Yeah. Just because, you know, today I might not have anything important in there, but, you know, maybe a month from now I am temporarily working with a CSV and it gets synced up mm. and and that CSV could have all sorts of crazy data in it. Who knows? So that it's just a high risk thing, but mm. people can make accidents. Uh, this, I don't think was an accident, just maybe a lack of knowledge. It happens. Hey, listen, when uh, Sophie and I were doing uh, AWS pen testing series, I was like, oh man, I'm I'm using my own AWS instances and everything. All of my information is kind of pumping to the screen. And I'm like, I mean, our editors can handle this. <laughs> but, but I feel like I could probably handle this myself pretty quickly and then we ain't gotta worry about it. So I created a script. What was what was what did I call that thing? Raid. Raid. Remove that's account ID. Yeah, that's right. Remove my, so it removed all my account IDs. Just and X's. Just put a bunch of X's. Oh, cool. And obfuscated it. So I could run commands normally as long as I ran raid first. 
and then they could do all my AWS commands, everything that came out of the screen would be sanitized. Nice. Yeah. And it made it really easy for slick. us to be able. Yeah, it was a lot of, it was really and, cool. You know, we've got a good editing team. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm sure they could have blurred it out or whatever, yeah. but they could also make a mistake. They're That's humans. That's true. That's true. And, yeah. you know, it just takes that key getting out one That's time. Right. Automation made that really easy. Yeah. So, yeah, well, testing goes along. Plus, way. it lightens their workload. Yeah. And they don't right? have to worry about it. It's nice of you. You're being a nice yeah, guy. I'll do what I can. It literally took me like maybe 45 minutes to whip that up. Yeah. Right? For real? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I was good at it. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. I just said I could do it. <laughs> Listen, you get the main thing running, and then you go, oh, it didn't do the thing I thought it was supposed to do there. <laughs> why did it not do that? And you go, oh, I'm an idiot. That's why. Did you Duh. did you open source it so other people could yep, use it? It's in my GitHub repo. Yep. And in your in your examples in the I documentation, totally put my, did you put your key and then show it sanitized? <laughs> <laughs> I think I put your key goes here. <laughs> Do not make this public. Yeah, make, it, make it real obvious for me. I them. think it would be funnier if you put a Let, real you know, key I've in there. I've got to go look at my GitHub repo right now. <laughs> double check. Let's, let's see what I do there. GitHub.com. <laughs> Oh, good times, good times. Sports slash um, Daniel Lowry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so if you're working at SourceGraph today, um, I guess let, let's do a positive spin on this. Mm-hmm. Boy, did your customer lead list just grow, right? Uh-huh. Like, here's a whole, <laughs> you've got 10 times the potential customers on your plate today if you reach out to them with a promo code. Yeah. <laughs> let's see here. Go to oh. the code. <laughs> did you find it? Yeah, I got it right here. Uh, there you go. I just put one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two. You know, that lame. Kind of yeah, oh, just, okay. Uh, <laughs> fake. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you are a, a patron of SourceGraph and enjoy the free stuff while it lasts, right? But you know, you were talking earlier about how you can use Google and Google Docs and all that, and it's free, but not really because they're getting your information. It sounds like there may have been the hackers could have accessed personal information when this happened. So maybe you're getting the stuff for free, but not really. Yeah. They're trading something else for it. Your mother's maiden name, or something like yeah, that. Probably something, like something that. more valuable. It's the new economy. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we trade in information. Money's stupid. Oh, brave yep. new world. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Well, I think that's going to do it for our articles. I do want to remind you all that TechNATO is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So if you're listening from the TechNATO website, you can click on that Sponsored By button. It's a big orange button, hard to miss. And you click that to go to the IT Pro website. If you want to support the podcast, check out those courses. Daniel mentioned uh, an AWS Cloud pen testing course that we did. That was part of our training there. Uh, That's what we do in our day job, and we love it. So if you want to support the podcast, check those out. Again, you can use that code TECHNATO30 to get a discount on your IT Pro membership. You can also check out ACI Learning's uh, webinars and live on social events. We've got one coming up this week, all things cybersecurity. John Hammond is going to be our guest, so we're super excited about that. That'll be Daniel and I doing that this Thursday at 2 p.m., I believe. Yeah, he's become like a third regular host, hasn't he? He really has. <laughs> I think this is, yeah, this is like the second or third time we've done something with him. Yeah. So, And we'll get to see him at Wild West Hacking Fest, right? He will be there. He will awesome. be there. With bells on. With, <laughs> and if with he doesn't bells have on. the bells, I will bring bells just in case so that just I'm not a liar. Like John Holdies. <laughs> yeah. That's Daniel, always prepared. That's right. So we'll, we'll see John Hammond at Wild West Hack and Fest as well, and we will be there. Daniel and I, as well as some of the other folks uh, from ACI Learning, that's going to be in October in Deadwood, South Dakota. We will be filming a Technado live from there, so that'll be pretty cool, and we might even get the chance to interview some pretty awesome folks that will be in attendance at Wild West Hack and Fest. So stay tuned. We'll have more updates on that as we get closer to the event, but it's coming up fast. I mean, it's already first week of September, and it's going to be here before we know it, so I'm pretty excited. Other than that, I, th- I think that's going to do it for me unless I'm forgetting anything. You probably are. I probably am. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. We'll make fun of you for it. What a vote of confidence. Yeah. Appreciate It'll be that. in your employee review. It'll be, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's coming up fast, too. So one of your KPIs was not forgetting anything on Technado. That was 
I would have been out of here a long time ago if that was the case. I forget a lot of things. It's just, there's only so much I can hold up here. That's true. Well, that's going to do it then for our show today. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next week.